Hi everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of Unpolluted. That's uh, inspiring conversations hosted by the EarthPrize team. I'm uh, here today with Sarah and Peter McGarry, and we have a fantastic guest. Uh, Sarah, do you want to introduce our guest today? Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm the social media intern at the Earth Foundation, and it's a pleasure to be with you here today, Peter. Uh, great. So today, uh, talking to us, we have Brendan Cleary um, from Etica Planet in Ireland. Now, I want to give you a bit of a backstory of why we're talking to Brendan. Uh, I was given a list of 25 companies uh, that are in this space, sustainability, in Ireland. And we gave that list to our, our alumni, uh, and they voted who they wanted to learn more about. And... Um, and Etiquette Planet came up top of the list. So, Brendan, congratulations. Thank um, you very much. So, Brendan, could you tell us why the name Etiquette Planet? What, 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 why did you choose that? And, and what's the business all about? Um, it's, it's, it, okay, the name Etiquette Planet, yes. It, we wanted people to understand simply what we were about. In other words, we were about trying to incorporate, um, at the time it was food and agricultural set to a high ecological standard. And uh, unfortunately, um, it was called Etica Planet Foods, but unfortunately a fire in, what was it, a year and a half ago, put an end or put it on, we'll say, in a stationary mode um, because it basically burnt down our facility. So I've moved that on to what I would consider the next big thing, which is sustainable packaging. And... Um, we started to develop there, kept the name, just dropped the words foods for the time being and just left it at Etica Planet. Okay, great. So before we go deeper into your journey with Etica, you know, you, you're from a family business that's very well known in Ireland because it was an early adapter into the organic space. Could you tell yes. us a bit about that background and, and, you know, why the family went into that space so early? Um we, I suppose, back in, what was it, 1972, going back that far, Ireland joined the EEC, as it was then called. It's now the EU. And we'll say agriculture became more intensified within Ireland and more specialised. So, in other words, dairy, the dairy industry became more of, um, to put it politely, uh, it became like battery chicken caged chickens it, it it was just too intensive and i grew up i was born in the 60s so i saw the latter half of the 60s the way agriculture was back then it was more diverse and then back in the 70s my father who was an ambitious farmer at the time became more and more intensive in daring from there he set up a liquid milk company and then he set up at the very beginning uh glenisk and then passed away and i was left with the mantle to to carry on Glenisk with some other brothers uh, and one sister actually. And what happened was um, we found it very difficult to trade uh, because we were in yogurt back in the, we'd say at the mid nineties is not in the place that is today. Now, everybody has yogurt in their fridge now. Back then it was growing. And to, to innovate, uh, we like, or sorry, to drive the company, we were constantly innovating. We saw organics, starting to take off a little in the UK and more so in Germany. And uh, so we decided to reach out to some organic farmers here in Ireland 
to bring it in because we always wanted to have the most naturally produced food in on the mar on the, the yeah on the the shelves of Ireland and yeah by going down organic routes that opened doors for us first to retailers and then to uh, to we'd say a range of consumers who were starting to adopt this uh, we'd say organic style of you know of living. Gotcha. So it was, a, it was a trend, yes, which helped us. I'm just curious, how hard was it back when you started this in the late 90s to get Irish farmers, you know, to switch over to an organic style? We, we have um, one of our adjudicating panel, he's a Kism, who uh, he tried to get uh, rice farmers in India to use his product, and there was a lot of pushback. I'm just curious if you had similar, you know, experience. Big uh, pushback, yes. Okay. Uh, um, I, I give you an example. Um, I have two older brothers uh, who were farming the family farm, and we had approached them uh, to be our first organic customer, our suppliers, and we were basically laughed out of the room. We were told that organics is just a five-year fad and it's going to go nowhere. So that's just that was the first conversation we had. So we had to go out and actively seek um, organic farmers in Ireland. And so we had to go north, south, east and west for a few small suppliers and bring back churns of milk in a van just to get started. So it, it was tough, but yeah. Um, I think as time went on, organics... Uh, became a force to be reckoned with. And I think the EU recognised this first and then applied pressure to the Irish government to adopt more environmentally friendly practices in agriculture, which will start pushing more and more farmers down the organic route. Gotcha. So that trend now is like fully settled in, especially in Ireland. Do you think that people's minds have also shifted uh, throughout time? I, it, it comes and goes, right? Um, and I'm not going to slate any members of the agricultural community, but um, I think the carrot and stick approach has to be used a little bit more. Um, we have a biodiversity crisis in, and, and it's being discussed here in Ireland at the moment. And actually, I think we're talking about having a referendum here within the next 12 months over how to uh, prioritize bi biodiversity. Now, yes, th that's getting even pushed back from the agricultural community. Myself, personally, I'm into rewilding. So I have two or three plots of land here in the mountains locally where I've just given them back to nature, closed the gate, and, uh, and it's, it's the Amazon of the Sleeve Blue Mountains at the moment. Like, I think I'm at it nearly 19 years in one particular plot, and you actually just couldn't get in there. It's so dense. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that conversation, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just that there's a lot of things going on in Ireland at the moment. Some is good and some is bad, like everywhere else. So, yeah, if we can have this force for good, all the better for everybody. Let's go back to the Etika Planet journey. So your first, let's call it iteration, was... Oats yogurt is that correct? Talk, talk us through that. Why why was that the first idea and how, how I I believe you won an award in Germany if if I'm correct. So I did. Yes. So so tell us about that experience. Well, um, <laughs> I was drinking a craft beer one night, and I 
and I was looking and I said, okay, they're turning um, wheat or barley, sorry, barley into a liquid. So um, I said, uh, and then I did a little bit more research and oats is considered one of the most balanced alternatives to dairy uh, on a protein and uh, carbohydrate level. It's probably a little bit high in the carbohydrates, but what I did was I started experimenting with brewing, brewing, sorry, brewing, brewing enzymes. <laughs> I got it out. Uh, and, and I start messing around, just trying to convert the, uh, to break down the, the, the carbohydrates, which, you know, act as a starch in an oat grain. But as you know, you can convert it to a liquid format with enzymes. So, yes. So I started messing around with that, tasted it. I said, geez, you know, I said, we could have something here. So I, st- I asked my brothers in, in Glenisca at the time if I could use part of their facility to uh, to start a fermentation process. And um, so eventually they allowed me, so I assembled some equipment and started off trials. And um, yeah, I, as far as I know, I was probably one of the first at it. And this is what uh, led to the Innovation Award in Berlin in 2018. So I... Regarding oats in general, because I think the alternative to milk and, and yogurt has been very popular lately. Um, and when you talk, look at the alternatives, oats is usually the best because it uses less water in the production of, of transforming all of this. So is that also the case in, in your production with the yogurt? Uh, yes, although water is never short in Ireland. But the thing is, um, the, 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 the protein profile of oats is actually excellent. It contains all the essential amino acids to, uh, and that's why it gets this positive press. Um, but, but also, it wasn't just, yeah, I, I wanted to produce a food that looked like dairy. I wanted to match dairy on the fat levels, the protein levels, and the carbohydrates. And so I wanted, if you look at the dairy alternatives at the moment, what are they? They're just really coloured water in a lot of the cases. And I wouldn't be the biggest fan of soy. So therefore, the alternatives out there, there's not a huge amount of alternatives. So I saw a gap in the market for uh, a protein, we'll say, alternative to a dairy product. Gotcha. So unfortunately, you had you had to make, pivot the business into packaging. So I... I find that fascinating. You know, packaging is obviously a much bigger industry than, than you know what you originally started off in. Um, why, why packaging, and and what have you learned as part of that journey? Um, well, I've always been interested in packaging because I was in the food business, and packaging is probably one of your biggest purchases. Uh, so that I always had a background interest in it. And back in 2018, when I was out at the uh, the awards in Berlin, um, I came across a small little startup company in... Uh, yes? Are we there? Can you hear me? Yeah, no, we're back. We're back. Good. We went, we went a little bit glitchy there, but we're good. Okay. So, yeah, back in 2018... Uh, while in Berlin, I came across a small little startup company who were using um, leaves of plants to make tomato trays. 
And I said, that's fascinating. I said, could you make a, a yogurt tray from those materials? They said they could. So I said, so I went back to my brother in Glenisk and I told him about this particular tray. And he said, listen, we'll be your first customer if you can get your hands on that. Now, unfortunately, the little business didn't make it. Uh, so the idea is still lodged in my head. And uh, so I kind of parked it until after the fire at Linisk, which put me out of business in the food. Um, I said I'd go and revisit it. And then while doing this Board Namona uh, Accelerate course, I discovered how much cardboard we had in Ireland, which had no home. It was all being shipped abroad. And uh, so that and we'll say converting agricultural waste into recyclable packaging was they were the two kind of streams I was investigating at the time while I'm the course. So that's where we are today. I think that's super fascinating. We always talk about plastics, but I think what we see with our students at the Earth Prize, a lot of them find like the local um, waste that they have in abundance to their own local community, uh, whether it's dragon fruit peel or banana peels, and they really try to reuse that into something that can be beneficial to communities. So it's exactly that with the cardboard in Ireland. So that's super fascinating um, that that came up uh, in well, that case. Yeah. Before that, we uh, I stumbled across, uh, I was speaking to a farmer and we were talking about straw. And uh, I was... Yeah, I was in discussions with him about purchasing straw to try out and produce packaging from uh, from the straw. We found out that straw has lignin in it. Lignin is what makes wood hard. So if you bend straw in, in your hand and let it go, it, it's like it has a memory like plastic. It'll come back to nearly its original form. Now, in the paper mill industry, they use lots and lots of chemicals to break down this lignin. Uh, whereas I wanted to do it more environmentally friendly. And I, I found out that certain types of mycelium, which is mushroom, um, can break down, convert the lignin in the straw to mushroom roots. And this will assist the packaging. So it breaks down the memory. And then you're left with uh, a valuable raw material in which, like at the time I said, we could be the first organic outer case manufacturer in the world by using this process. And um, so we were looking at that, but then, I, as I said, I, I discovered Ireland is just swimming in absolute a sea of cardboard. And it's all being shipped out of the country uh, for reprocessing. There's, uh, I, I was told that Ireland does not have the scale for manufacturing or paper pulp manufacturing. So I said, surely to God, um, we can get small scale production in Ireland to, to get this going. And now that more companies are making carbon neutral statements, there is a huge appetite out there for them to recycle their cardboard and take it back in as newly formed packaging. So yeah, the market is there. The appetite is there. All I just need to do now is raise the finance to do it. Right. That, that was my next question. So it, it always comes back to the money. <laughs> yes, it always does. But the good news is, um, I now I seem to be doing a lot of courses these days, but the good news is the last course I was on, uh, they were talking about the EU is going to push harder and harder to, to incentive, 
incentivize the, the whole recycling industry, industry or the circular economy, as we call it. And there's grant aid of up to 75% coming down the tracks. Now, that's phenomenal. So if, if I was speaking to an investor, which I hope to be, um, that'll be one of the first carrots I'll be dangling in front of him. Gotcha. Well, that's great to hear. Um, well, listen, you know, best of luck with that project and hopefully we can check in in the not too distant future. Good. Um, I, I want to touch on you. You said in passing about your experience with rewilding. Yes. Can you, can you elaborate a bit on that? Because I, I've heard a lot about it, but I've never talked to somebody who's actually done it. Okay. Yeah. And I, now I, I probably started rewilding before the term had come into existence. Wow. And, and, and this was by accident. Uh, what happened was um, I lived in Germany for a few years back in the 90s. And um, yes, so when I came back for various holidays, I used to have a fascination with our local mountains called the Sleeve Blue Mountains because they were, uh, they were great for wildlife, wild walks, and all of this type of thing. Outdoor activity, I suppose. And so... I finally, I got a dividend from Glenisk back in 2003, 2004. And instead of putting it into housing or a new car or something like that, I went up and I bought uh, a small plot of land of about 12 acres in the Sleep Blue Mountains. And just after completing the deal, I heard that there are restrictions on what type of agricultural could go on or forestry. Uh, because there's a, a, a breed of bird called the harrier, which is quite rare now in Ireland. And so the harrier was using the Sleeve Blue Mountains as breeding sites. So therefore, the restrictions were in, in place. So I said, OK, we've bought it for the hen harrier. Best of luck to it. So I, I just closed the gate. And, uh, and I said, like, we just let it go wild. And it's now like the Amazon... Of Ireland, it's you just actually it's so dense you couldn't get in, and um, yeah, I, I and then I heard about rewilding then a few years, and I said okay, I'm one of the first early movers in rewilding, and I heard uh, somebody famously saying that the the wealthy of planet Earth shouldn't be putting it into masterpieces of art; they should go out and buy pockets of land around the planet and turn that into their masterpiece by letting it go rewild. And I think that's a great idea. That is a beautiful idea. I'd love yes. to see a picture of that Irish Amazon one day. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's in the slides that I had sent over. If you look at the um, opening slide, you'll see a picture of um, a wild spot. That's it. Wow. wow. We'll go look at it after this. <laughs> so, Sarah, before we ask the final question, have you got any you want to ask Brenda? Uh, yeah, I do actually have a, you know, we talked about your alternative sustainable yogurt. We've talked about your sustainable packaging. We've talked a bit about the environmental, um, you know, solutions from that you were inspired in Ireland. But we haven't talked to you about like you as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, you've innovated with completely different things. You've had your inspiration from the farming. But um, as an entrepreneur and an innovator, what would you have um, as a recommendation for the students out there that are in the same you know, process as you, trying to find solutions to their local problems? What is the one piece of advice you would give to them? Um, 
I have a, a son at the moment. He's, he's traveling Southeast Asia and I just tell him to keep his eyes open and look for different ideas every day of the week. Uh, my father, uh, who was um, a farmer, but he was also an entrepreneur as well. Um, I picked a lot of his learnings up from him, unintentionally, I must say. Uh, I didn't realize it, but he used to bring us around to various, as we call them, cattle marts. So uh, he would be getting us to try and um, gauge what type of a cow or bullock or bull he should be purchasing. So that's where we had to start using our eyes and using our brains to a smaller part. And then when I was out in Germany, for example, I... And, and, and all my holidays since, I, I've always, you'd find me in a supermarket down in the uh, dairy aisle looking at what type of products are there. And my, so my sons used to be bored out of their brains while they were, I would spend half an hour looking at the fridges. But they're starting to pick that up off me as well. So, yeah, keeping your eyes open is number one. But then we are moving into a, a more sustainable uh, focused economy. So circular is going to be big going forward. And if your students have access to waste materials such as straw from a farm or sawdust, they could try out using uh, mycelium, you know, a locally grown mycelium mushroom family, which will eat the lignin. And from there, they can start experimenting with different molds and things like this. Like one of the projects that I'm looking at is uh, we would use the mycelium and then mold it into different products. And we could make anything from a bird box to an igloo and from there you know everything in between can be assembled from this type so so your mind is your uh, creative center and with that your uh, paper pulp or mushroom pulp or uh, sawdust pulp can be molded into a, a, a variety of different ideas wonderful yeah i love it so last question brendan Yes. If you were if you were back in the days of a teenager and you could enter the Earth Prize, you know what would your idea be? What what would the topic that you'd want to investigate and, and submit? Well, I've probably just mentioned it by saying the mycelium um, would be uh, the mycelium and sawdust. Uh, sawdust is probably one of the cheapest commodities out there because there's no real use for it except for bedding. So I would see uh, that is a good, cheap, inexpensive raw material. Add the mycelium and voila, you've got some form of uh, packaging or, you know, a, a molded product that you could make from it. Fantastic. Well, we'll look out next year's entrance, see if, if that idea... <sighs> Maybe you've inspired a few of them. When they, well, uh, you know, I could even enter myself because, as I said earlier, I have the mind of a teenager. So, yes. Uh, well, fair play. Fair play. Well, listen, Brendan Cleary, it's been absolutely a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Peter, hope, great to talk to you and Sarah. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. No, absolutely. And I hope uh, a lot of our Earth Prize participants and alumni, you know, get some inspiration out of your journey. Great. And uh, watch the space for the, the sawdust and mycelium. Uh, Excellent. Brilliant. Great. Okay. Pleasure. All the best then. Thank All you the so best. Much, okay. Thank Good you. luck. Bye. Bye.